Well, it's been a minute, but we are back here for that 90s baseball pod powered by Access Twins. I'm your host, Brandon Warren, and you can find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore W-A-R-N-E. And I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Greg Olson. Greg, I don't even know if I remember your Twitter handle. Is it uh, Greg Olson 30? Is, is that correct? That would be it. Yep. Yeah. Three Gs. Uh, We've uh we've not covered much ground, or actually MLB has covered a lot of ground since you and I last talked. Um, baseball's back; <laughs> it's about to start up here in two weeks, at least as far as the Minnesota Twins go, and uh, we're back. So we've got a very very special guest today, a guy who I know you know very very well. I don't know if he was your setup man or what that hierarchy looked like, but it's Mr. Jim Poole, former left-handed big league reliever, Mr. Poole. So excited to have you on. Thank you for joining us. Brandon, I appreciate you having me on. You bet. Yeah, and I, I, I could let you two just go, I bet, telling stories back and forth. Uh, Greg's always the better storyteller. I was uh, fortunate enough to, to observe quite a few of them. Yeah. <laughs> no, we had fun. We were uh, teammates of USA 87-88. Yeah, and then, uh, Baltimore, 91, 90, 92, and 93, yep. when you got hurt. And then, um, and then again in uh, Buffalo slash Cleveland for a, a brief time in 95, and then uh, opponents after that. But uh, great yeah. friends of mine, and uh, looking forward to uh, just catching up and seeing what's going on. Um, yeah. The, you know, Brandon, the party's leaving out, and I don't know if Jill will let him live it down, is Greg and Jill and my wife, Kim, and I got married on the same day, one hour apart. And the only reason it was one hour apart is because we were Eastern time. <laughs> yeah, we're here on the central, central side of things. And so if people haven't checked out the show before, you're kind of the perfect uh, test for us. Your career was 1990 to 2000. Yeah. We cover the 90s, so I mean, not everybody gets to pitch for 30 years like Greg did. But uh, you're right no in our wheel, you're right in our wheelhouse as far as uh, as those 10 years go. And and the game, in my opinion, changed a lot in those 10 years. Would you tend to agree? Uh, I'd agree. I definitely agree with that. How uh, how players approach getting ready in the off season. Um, I mean, I got drafted in '88. And by the Dodgers, and at that point, the only weights that we were allowed to touch were the old Nautilus system. No free weights allowed. Um, a few years later, I was in spring spring training with the Rangers, and they're throwing all kinds of heavy metal. completely changed over the decade all right you, i gotta go we got i gotta go i mean your your high school record was two and 16 <laughs> do i have that right that is a fact and two wins my junior year the first win took me 10 innings and 150 pitches <laughs> yeah all right, you earned that one yeah we, 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 I and the team were not very good. Yeah, it was. Uh, so you said you kind of self-recruited, you, 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 you self-recruited yourself. That's a tag. And so you walked on to Georgia Tech. 
Uh, close enough. I, uh, I, I strong arm for $500. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So I could officially say I was a scholarship athlete. Um, I had, I, I had way more. Say what not? Yeah, it was 10. We, we were quarters then. It paid for my room for one quarter. That was it. Yeah, I had, a, I had way more academic money that I had earned than I ever got athletic. Uh, until my senior year. So I, I got to hear the origin story of you meeting this guy here because yeah. you guys go back a ways. Um, I won't tell you how old I was when you guys met because I don't want to get in trouble, but it was uh, it was around the time I was in diapers. So um, um, wouldn't doubt yeah. it. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll just say that he started watching after the Twins' second World Series. <laughs> Which was a really bad time got, to start got watching. It. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, well, Greg and I first were opponents mm-hmm. because yep. Auburn and Tech would play each other. And, you know, I mean, Greg was immediately burst on the scene. Um, so it was fun to just watch him do his thing. I happen to know a couple guys on his team from summer ball. Uh, so it was, you know, I was very appreciative watching him pitch. You know, and then – my head coach at Tech, Jim Morris, was the pitching coach for the Pan Am team in 87. And uh, that's really where we got a chance chance to connect and get to know each other. Yep. And then, uh, okay, so you then you turned down the draft in 87 because you wanted to finish your degree. Is that correct? <laughs> well, then the Dodgers recommended that I go back. So they, they drafted uh, you in the 34th round and they said to stay in school? Yeah, the Dodgers, they did, a, I think they got to like $25,000 total. Um, and so it was pretty easy to decide that I'm going back. Uh, I was an electrical engineer uh, so studying for that. Um, getting to the big leagues was still not, in my mind, a likely scenario. So going back my fourth year was good. And, by, and, and it paid off for me, Greg. You might, you, I, ju- I just had to go through this about a month ago, but in 88, you and I were battling it out for strikeouts per nine. Yep. And Greg, thankfully for me, got one more out that season that wasn't a strike, strikeout. <laughs> so I got him because I pitched one third of an inning less. <laughs> you got me by bike. It was, uh, what, 14.2 to 14.1, something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was crazy small. It was all about you being too good and getting an extra out. No. You, you, you guys were ahead of your time when it comes to strikeouts because now strikeouts are all the rage. But back then, uh, an out was an out was an out. They didn't really care how you got it. But uh, by, by the way, at Tech, um, you must have played with Kevin Brown then, right? Played with Kevin Brown for uh, two years. Yeah, that uh, that was some kind of a nasty power arm right there. Ooh, that sinker. Yeah. We saw him walk out. That for I it was my freshman year. And I, I don't know if I started the game against you guys, but I just sat there and was looking across the field going, This is the nastiest human being I have ever seen in my life. Yeah. It, it, maintained, it maintained 13 years later with the Dodgers in 2000. It was just like I'm looking at him going, Yeah. You're unbelievable. How do you lose a game? No doubt. I mean, the only way, so I always felt the only way to beat him was basically to get like 13 ground ball singles, you know, because yeah. that singer was so hard to lift in the air. Well, um, to, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, to tell you how naive I was and how little I had seen really good talent, I did not, my first year with him, I didn't really recognize how good he was. Um, so as a sophomore, I didn't, I didn't get it when he was a sophomore. When he was a junior, and, the, you know, he comes in, he comes in, Scott Boros comes in and talks to the team because he's Kevin's agent or going to be his agent. And I start recognizing, like, not only this guy is really damn good, he's one of the best in the country. And then, you know, became one of the best pitchers in our era. You know, I, I think he probably gets overlooked. You know, it's actually regrettable he signed the first $100 million deal, right? Because a lot of times he gets thought of for that. He signed for the Dodgers, what, seven years, 105, I think? Sounds right. Yeah. And, you know, so people thought about that. But it really didn't get the credit for how good he was. Just dominant every time out. You should yeah. you should have gotten more Hall of Fame consideration, frankly. I don't think he put the wins up that he needed. No. That's he needed. it, right? That's it. Well, I mean, for me, you sit there and you look at, and I don't know, I mean, we've never sat around and talked about Hall of Fame, but I, I just look at, okay, you know, Koufax had a shortened career due to shoulder, had 209, I believe. And then you got Musina in at 222. Yeah, something like that. And I know Hudson. No, 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 no. Messina's up around 270. You're right. Yeah, he's at yeah. Uh, 270. And then Bylevin was 268. Yeah. Um, but you yeah. saw those numbers. And I'm, I mean, our former teammate for, uh, no, not yours, but mine, Kurt Schilling. Yeah. And mine too with the Phillies. Yeah. And it's yeah. just, I don't think he's got enough wins. You can't, you're not supposed to take postseason right. into account. Um, you know, I'm looking at Tim Hudson here in Auburn, Alabama, and he's got 222, and he had, you know, 222 and 133, some stupid win-loss. Yeah. And was good. I'm like, if he doesn't get in, then I don't see where you put a cap on the on the bottom end. Yeah, Brandon, you, you kind of makes me think, Brandon, you were asking about what did I see change over the decade. Mm-hmm. You know, by the time I was out, you know, if you pitched seven innings, that was amazing. Um, by the time you know, so it, you know, by the time we were leaving, I was leaving the game in 2000, it had already happened. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, guys like Greg being such closers, the complete games were already going down, but then even the setup men were becoming more and more important. That 95 team, uh, with the Indians, the starting rotation was good, um, but there weren't a whole lot of complete games because. They built the bullpen to basically win it from the sixth or sixth or seventh, seventh inning on. Yeah, was that a was that a John Hart team? I'm trying to remember who was in charge. It was. Yeah, so I mean, he he's one of the greatest of all time, and so to to see him be ahead of ahead of the curve like that's not surprising at all. Although if it's lamentable that it's changed the way the game is played, then yeah, I kind of see that point of view as well. But uh, the back end of that bullpen. I mean, I hated you guys. And let me tell you why, uh-huh. because I was a Minnesota Twins fan in 1995. And so they had nothing going for them. Right. Uh, and Kirby Puckett is out after that. And, you know, Paul Mulder comes in. We had Paul Mulder on the show about a month ago. Um, I hated you guys in 95 because you were so dang good. Just unbelievable. Yeah, that was, well, that lineup was, I know people are talking about the Dodgers lineup and all that right now. but Or the Blue Jays. 
or the Blue Jays, but that lineup, I don't know if there was ever a better one. Um, that that was great. Omar Omar Vizquel was about the only guy in the lineup that you faced and you felt, okay, there's a reasonable shot. The ball's not going out of the ballpark. Yeah. Um, you know, you have multiple, multiple Hall of Famers and or top players of the era were in that lineup. Yeah, the Hall of It was good. scary. The Hall it was scary. Good. Yep. You know, and Brandon kind of go back to what you're talking about, John. I don't know that John built the bullpen and the rotation the way he did because – he thought that was the best way to win. I th- I thought what he did was it was a cheaper way to build a, a full staff, yeah. right? Because now he had two older pitchers that he didn't have to pay top dollar and Dennis Martinez and Oral Hershiser. Right. Charles Nagy was still young. Um, and then we had solid guys behind him, young guys behind him. Um, the bullpen was cheap. Mm. Right. And, you know, our closer was Jose Mesa, who really had not had a lot of big success yet. Paul Ostenbacher was probably our best yeah. well-known reliever. Yeah. He wasn't making much money. So he liked putting money into the hitters and he did it well. Well, Mesa, to that point, I mean, I played with him. We, I think we both played with him in Baltimore. I wasn't sure yeah. when he left. Um, but he had no success in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Always had a high-end arm, but never, you know, they had him as a starter, didn't didn't work. Uh, you guys had Plunk. Yeah. Who got kicked Nasty. out of who got kicked out of Oakland. Right. Um, right. you know, I mean, it was it was kind of the tradition. And I know I, I went from Cleveland to Kansas City, and it was always, you know, everybody but the closer was and in Kansas City was Montgomery, who right. You know, talking about Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. um, but I got picked up off scrap heap, and everybody we had there was was a you know a young guy that hadn't hadn't thrown much, so we'll throw them out in the bullpen because they're cheap, and we can spend money in the, on the uh, everyday guys. That's it. Yeah. So I don't think so. I don't know that John did it on purpose, mm-hmm. but it, it, to me, that's what set the, that tone did get set. I mean, I know the Braves at the time had an amazing rotation, but I think John was ahead of the game in terms of figuring out how to use it for the middle market teams anyway. Yeah. How to use their dollars better. What is it? The whatever's born on a necessity. If you decide that you have to mm-hmm. adhere to a certain um, budget, which I mean, Cleveland's still doing now, you guys might have had a higher payroll in 95 than they do right now. You know, we really didn't have a. You know, if you go back in the line, I don't think we had a lot of guys getting paid a lot of money. Not yet, at least. They, they it was it. so young. Eddie Murray was on the back end of his career, so wasn't making a lot of money. Like I said, Oral and Dennis, Oral Hershaw's Dennis Martinez. I mean, I'm pretty sure we were a middle market club. Now, I know the stadium had just opened up, so they had more local ticket revenue than they'd ever had. So they probably had more leeway. <clears throat> but uh, it be it would be interesting to go back, but I'm I'm confident that was not a a big payroll squad. Sure, and they're they're only at like 30, 35 million right now. That's the only reason oh. I brought it up because um, they've signed. Actually, no, they signed a reliever this morning, uh, Brian Shaw. They brought back right now. Now they're like 33, 38 million, something like that, which uh, is crazy. Now, since I've got you on the Cleveland topic, before we go back to the beginning. Um, Talk, talk me through playing at the Jake, because at that time, 
the Jake was rocking. I know it's a progressive field now, but it will always be the Jake for me because that's yeah. how I was brought up. Um, what, uh, what was it like playing there? Because it always seems like such a cool place to play from my vantage point. Yeah, so 994, when they opened up, I was going in as an Oriole. And so going in as a visitor, first of all, I was ecstatic not to be at Municipal Stadium anymore. Right. Um, but uh, uh, but the, the crowd was just so We play hell's bells for me. It was, it was, it was fantastic. So to get to experience that as a, um, on the home side, and remember I come from Baltimore that we had that super long streak of sellouts. Mm-hmm. And even though we were, we were okay, right? We were never bad. We were never really good. We were okay. And the fans were really good fans. But Cleveland had something to root for. And those guys uh, rocked that place. I have no doubt that in the last three innings of a ball game, if we had to come back again, I think we did it like 50 times that year, um, we were going to have a huge advantage because that crowd was going nuts mm-hmm. every day. They were they were prepared every day. I, I have to ask one more thing before I hand it back to Greg. How would you compare the transition from old stadium to new stadium in Baltimore versus Cleveland? Because you both went from, and, and maybe Greg can speak to it because he was in the big leagues longer when – yeah, before Baltimore switched over, but I have to believe pretty similar. I mean, they they're from the same era of parks that uh, you know Texas opened a new one, and and you know you guys were all kind of part of that wave. But I have to believe that's a huge fan experience thing, player experience thing. It, it's got to lift the vibe of the entire organization, unless I'm completely missing the point here. You know, Craig, I think you're the better one for. I'm not saying for me. I only had a couple of couple of months at Memorial, but it was the first place I was really establishing myself as a big leaguer. So I didn't care what the stadium looked like. With that said, <laughs> with that said, walking into that clubhouse at Camden Yards the first time, my jaw was on the ground. Yeah. Well, you won the last game of, at the old stadium too, right? I did. And I ended up pitching the last three games against uh, Detroit. Um, that last day, I'm pretty sure my, my arm was on a, on a thread, but, uh, I wanted to be part of all those games and yeah, that, that's, that's one, one claim to fame I have with Baltimore. Do you, guys save, do you guys save mementos from those kinds of things? No, I can't, I gotta tell you, I don't have that game ball. It wasn't counting on it being the last win. Cause I think it was the Saturday game. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, uh, things yeah. you don't know when you're when you're doing stuff. Yes, that's right. Yeah, we went through a whole ordeal on you know who was going to finish the game on Sunday, and and you know mm-hmm. they, wanted Mike, they wanted Mike Flanagan to do it, and Oates was like, you know, if we're winning, you're you're going to finish the thing, and ended up losing it, and uh, Frank Tanana got the last out at Memorial Stadium. So um, right. I had forgotten you pitched all three, and you got the last win. That was nice. Yeah. So, yeah, Johnny, Johnny gave me the option. I really wish I had said no on Sunday. <laughs> oh, Mar was in pain the rest of the offseason. <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. Um, all right, I wanted to hit your career. 22 and 12? I mean – Vulture. <laughs> 
Straight vulture. No hard feelings. No hard yeah, feelings. Actually, I will, I'll take that back. Brandon, in 1995, uh, probably one of the few wins that I earned. Um, you might remember in 95, they expanded the roster for the first month. I was part of those extra three guys that I was trying to figure out to make the team. Um, we had a long extra inning game with the Twins. Um, and uh, it was playing pitching and some – I can't. I can't remember for sure if I got a win in that game or not. But it was your your team that pretty much cemented my staying in Cleveland instead of heading back to Buffalo. Nice. Oh, well, I'm yeah, happy but, that it happened. I'm happy. Yeah, um, but Greg, yeah, 22 wins. I'm pretty sure it was at least 20 vultures. Yeah, but you know, I I, I kind of look at it and and uh, over the career, I was like, I I finished with a winning record, and half the time you're walking into a tie game. Yeah. You know you were an established lefty coming in in big spots. There wasn't a whole lot of times where you're walking in where you're losing, you know? So the odds of, of picking up wins as opposed to losses when, you know, more often than not, you're in a winning situation, 22 and 12 is thoroughly impressive. I, um, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, first half of my career, I said, it's pretty fair that, you know, I would have, I had plenty of opportunity to lose it. Um, you know, as my career went on, you know, I was part of teams like 95 where Ossenmacher was our head lefty. So I beat the guy that would come in down a run with that Indians lineup, right? Just make sure that we get to the bat and I'm the leg guy with the last out before we would, you know, put up a five spot and uh, sweep, in a, sweep in a W that way. But, uh, yeah, I, I do remember more than a few times having one or two pitch wins. Nice. Yes. You know, perfect left-hander story. That's really good. What, what, do you, uh, what do you feel about the evolution of the left-hander, though? Because, um, you know, it went from there weren't specialists, there were specialists, and now with the three-man minimum, yeah. you like that, hate that? How do you think that would have affected your career – would you have been against it because it might have nudged you out of the game or would you have liked it because it would have given you an increased role? Yeah. Just what, what do you think of the landscape of the left-hander? I'm left-handed myself too. So, um, you know, we got a brotherhood there. Part of the 10%. <laughs> exactly. Um, so first of all, I like the role. I have no problems with it. Um, I think it makes the lefties be better. Mm -hmm. Right. I, you know, I'm mean, look, I got a chance I'm for sure the last at least three seasons of my career existed because of what I had done in the beginning of my career. Right. I never would have been able to pitch. <laughs> Nobody would pick me up in my career with the three person, the, the three hitter role. Um, I don't think it would have impacted the beginning of my career, but I like it. I like the fact the lefty has to be a little bit more well-rounded. It doesn't cost anybody any jobs. It just creates, it's just a new opportunity. And, you know, are you good enough to fill that role or not? Mm -hmm. So I like it. I like the challenge that they have to be able to get both sub lefties and righties out. Did you have to alter your repertoire to face righties if you if you had to? I mean, did you subtract or add a pitch? I know some uh, some guys won't do a left on left change up. Some guys won't do a left on right yeah. breaking ball because it goes into the swing. Uh, how did you tailor your approach based on handed of hitter that you were facing? Yeah, you know, I basically tailored it by giving up a lot of hard hit balls, hopefully at people. 
<laughs> um, the old Adam ball. Yeah, you know, it, I look back at my career and I, I don't know how I did, how I lasted. I clearly had years that were, oh my gosh, bad. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I actually, one of the regrets I have as a pitcher that I didn't do something like Greg. One of the reasons I respect Greg so much is, you know, it was, I'll say it was quote unquote easy before he got hurt and only easy. And his stuff was nasty. Now he was a closer. He had to deal with that. Nothing easy about it. But when he really showed me who he was as a pitcher after he got hurt and he reinvented himself and I could never do that. Um, I hurt my arm in 92 and again in 95 and um, I never adjusted to that. I never picked up a two-seamer. I never picked up a change-up or, or anything that was any good. And I, I, it's part of the reason my career was so up and down. So, you know, a guy like Greg was more – It was I was in awe because the guy made himself into this incredibly long career not being, near, not being the same guy he was when he started – so I can tell you from this vantage point, he's all guts. So uh, I'm sure you see the yeah. same. Um, so what? But, I mean, because yeah, you know, we years together. Right. Uh, you know, you were. I always sat back and looked at you like you were. You know, you were this one of the smartest guys I've ever played with, and. <sighs> No, you, you, you took, you took it very analytically the way you approached everything. And right. that was, that was something I liked and I, I did copy um, just the approach a little bit. Um, but why did, did you, what did you try that didn't work? Did you take, you know, take stuff far enough to get it into the game? Yeah. So yeah, good. All good questions. So um the when the change up was the first one and the one I tried my entire career to try to figure out. Um you know it, before it was too late, I had I what what held me back was I felt like since I was out there for such a short period of time, you know, could be as little as a pitch, probably no more than 15. I didn't make the leap. To, to let's see what this can do, you know, a new pitch in, in, a, in a clutch situation. So, Greg, you're right. I did try to be analytical, but I, I stayed analytical with what I did, right? Yeah. And, and, I, and I just I – w- I didn't allow myself to get over, over you know, and anxiety is the wrong word, but I didn't have the guts that you did to just say, okay, I'm trying something different here and I'm going to make it work. I tried a two-seamer and tried the – the one time I really went after a two-seamer was in uh, uh, 95 and I started screwing on my elbow. Really? Yeah, because I started, yeah, because I started um, twisting through the elbow for that two-seamer instead of just using my fingers. I was throwing it wrong and because I wasn't getting any action. So I stressed the elbow then, and I ended up dealing with spurs and chips the rest of my career. Um, wow. Yeah, you know, and, you know, and the last piece is I just wasn't a very good athlete. 
I mean, yeah. it's I just reality. I mean, I knew how to throw a breaking ball. <laughs> you did know. You, you know what? You're, you're you laugh because it's true. Electric. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what? It just brought back uh, one of our golf rounds in Florida, I believe, in spring training where Oof. you hit the unbe- uh, <laughs> most remarkable shot I've ever seen hit. Uh, I am. Uh, yeah, I put balls between my legs. That was the uh, shot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Never seen that where you hit the inside of the club and the ball went between your legs. Actually yeah. went across a creek that was behind us that was not in play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I am the stereotype. I am the stereotype of pitchers not being an athlete. And what Greg is relating to, I would love to tell you he's stretching the truth here a little bit, but it's all right on the mark. Yep. You, know, you can't make it up. The, the physics of that are blowing my mind, let alone. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm sorry, Brandon. I'm, I'm, no, I'm good. running through the scenario that when you did hit this ball that went between your legs and about 20 yards across the creek, yeah. I'm running through the scenario of the hitter that, fouls a ball off of his foot of how close you were to hitting your right front foot. Yeah. I don't think I would have been able to physically finish a round of golf watching (laughs) you limp around if you had hit yourself because you only missed by a couple inches. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, you know, Greg, I love to tell you that was the only time it happened in my golfing career. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. You did it more. Seriously, I was capable of a lot of things on the golf course. Rarely were any of them good. So as a lefty, I want to ask you about mental versus physical preparation. Mm Because from my vantage point, when I see a role like Greg has at the back of a bullpen, more so in the early of his career, it's maybe a little more predictable. Now, what I want to ask is, like you said, you threw three games in that, uh, that last stretch there. Yeah. What was the mental preparation, not knowing when you'd pitch, how much you'd pitch, and then the difference between, let's say you throw 10 pitches each of three days versus 30 pitches one day in terms of rehab, in terms of all that. I, I just, I feel like it's so hard. People think managing a bullpen is so easy, but you have to look forward, you have to look backward, and then you have to live in the now. It, it's got to be a hard role to manage. It's got to be a hard role to play. It's got to be a hard role to prepare for. Uh, how did you do it? Um, I think, you know, I, I was fortunate. I had guys like Greg, Mark Williamson, Flanny, you know, in that pen to help me out because my biggest problem was throwing too much, yeah. um, getting ready. And that was the first thing I had to master was not wearing myself out. So I had been a reliever all through college and the minors, but I was typically the closer. So it was, I knew my role. Right. It was a little bit easier to stay on top of it. But um, yeah, it was the getting up in a pen and not going in, you know, that I really had to watch out for and um, and understand, OK, you're ready. You can just stand on the mound out in the bullpen or just flip a couple. Occasionally, you've got that eight out there in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but the getting up, getting down was the. The part that I mentally was uh, to me it was more demanding mentally than physically, because you it was easy to lose your edge as you as your adrenaline started pumping. Right, and I needed all the adrenaline I could get. That's why I loved relieving, 
but I said that was the biggest part, just understanding how to save my throws so that I could pitch two or three games in a row. Well, especially uh, go ahead. Especially because being a reliever, you're high effort, high intensity, and you have to learn when to throttle that back and not knowing a finishing point. I'm sure that's the hardest part of it is, is knowing how much you can give at any given time. Cause if you burn out and all of a sudden you give up three runs and one appearance, your ERA shot for the rest sure. of the year. And you know, did, did, that's that hard. did that a few times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I would say I'd be interested with Greg things. Cause he, uh, you know, it's in, he, you know, follows the game even closer than I do right now. Mm-hmm. So it's announcing, but you know, I felt like back in our day, you know, pitching three days in a row was not a big shock. You know, it, it definitely happened. Um, so that, that you know, um, saving yourself, you know, make sure you were being smart about your throws, prep in between games was important. Nowadays, I don't know if those guys really have to think about it very much. Right. It's almost a shock if they come back in back-to-back days. You're, no, you're – I mean, you know, you came up and we had – I know we had a five-man bullpen in 89. Probably had a six-man. I think we had six. One. Um, but, yeah, we had to come back. And now I'm looking at 10-man bullpens. And, you know, I, I, I'm sure there's some analytic guy going, all right, if he throws three days in a row, his ERA is, yeah. is you know, he's good for two days no matter what the pitch counts were. But, uh, no, I always remember, dude, you threw so much before the game at 430. Yeah. That I was just like looking at you, going, "Stop!" Yeah, <laughs> that's why I, I, we 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 never played catch together because he threw too much, and I'd be like, "Going, you you have this obligation as as partners to stay with him the whole time because yeah. he'd want to throw like thirty sliders and just you know, and then work on some fastballs." And I'm like, "I'm I'm ten minutes and I'm done." Going, dude, I, I can't throw this much. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I do remember that. That was part of my that was part of my uh, part of my uh, schooling going on with you, Willie, and and yeah, playing. Nobody played catch with you. No, well, that was also because I couldn't play catch very well. <laughs> I mean, I, I hit I hit fans in Fenway and Wrigley. Did you really? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Those those first ten throws from 40, 50 feet, those were a mess. I need to get the 90 in a hurry. So oh. you, you were that guy. I, I, oh, didn't remember, yeah. I didn't remember that. You, you, couldn't, oh, yeah. you couldn't toss short early, soft? Couldn't toss short early. Hated the bullpens on the field. Because, that, you know, his first few throws were a bit. <laughs> what I'm Minnesota? telling you. I know, but what about, what about like Fenway where you got that wall and you might oh. throw it and hit the, hit the pitcher on the other side of the uh, wall? I'm definitely conscious of what was going on in that place, too. It was terrible. So you hated the Minnesota bullpen for sure down the first Oh, yeah. That's right. Minnesota, Seattle, uh, Detroit. I mean, a bunch of them were out in the field in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. I hated all those. I couldn't wait to get the catcher down. I'm telling you, this is all about – this is now making sense why I hit a golf ball between my legs. Yeah, how many balls did you throw onto the field to play? Oh, well, easily double digits. <laughs> easily. <laughs> you know how you know how they have that guy protect the catcher 
Yeah. Yeah, is there a protect catcher? He's probably turned the other way around when it's you. He's probably protecting well, everybody else. Yeah, they would learn and, and get well away from the catcher. Yeah, they they uh, they figured it out quick. Oh man. Oh, that's priceless. Did uh I want to I want to take a step back for a minute. Did the Dodgers have to ask permission to draft you a second time because I believe that's the rule now. Um, the Twins had to do it with Brent Rooker, uh, another SEC guy. Um, mm-hmm. Did the Dodgers have to ask you that? And were, did you have any doubt in your mind that you were going to be okay with it? If so, uh, I do not remember that being a rule at the time. Okay, so yeah. you, you just you, you were just tickled to go in a in a higher round than last time, and actually maybe get a little yeah. bit of a bonus instead of last time, which we said twenty five. Well. Yeah, well, Brandon, you might you know, remember I was now a senior. Oh, senior sign. Okay. Yeah. So it was just it was so, just about status, draft spot, but not necessarily. It was money. basically yeah. They gave me ten grand. I asked for. I knew I was going to be buying an engagement ring with mm. my bonus, and so I asked for a little bit more. I think the guy the year before had gotten twelve, and he said no. I said okay, where do I sign? Yeah, <laughs> you don't have much choice there. I, so Kim's I got, ring was a little smaller. I talked to one guy and he said that they uh, basically got a plane ticket and that was it. <laughs> so oh, I, I, in those stories that are all legit, yeah. right? You sign for, you know, maybe they'll get you a glove, pair of spikes. So what was your welcome to the big leagues moment? Um, because I, I know most, if not all guys have it, it's either the third deck syndrome or whatever they call it, where you finally step into a stadium that big for the first time on the field. Did you have a moment where you're like, holy cow, I have made it to the big leagues? Um, yeah, I have to say, really, it was my first appearance. Um, being in state, I grew up in Philadelphia, so stadiums themselves weren't a big deal. Okay. But, you know, as I said earlier, getting to the big leagues was never a likelihood. You know, it's just something that kind of kept happening. Um, so I got called up by the Dodgers. Um, that they called up, I had a warm up in the pen, another dang pen that was out on the field, um, didn't get in that game. And then we end up going back to Dodger stadium and it's extra innings and Tony Quinn is leading off the (laughs) inning and I have to get ready for Tony. Um, yeah, he had been around long enough by that point. I knew dang well who he was. Yep. Um, and, you know, I, had, I only knew one guy on the Dodgers team um, because I had not been in spring training with him. I uh, get called out. We're going the field. The umpire turns his back to me and is talking to my catcher. Greg, you will love this. This is Rick Dempsey. Nice. Yes. So the umpire is talking to Rick as I'm throwing. And clearly he asked him something along the lines of, you know, what's this kid got? And, and I, I can hear I can hear Rick tell the umpire, hell, I don't know what he's got. I don't even know who he, who he is. I'm about to find out myself. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a welcome to the big leagues. Uh, no. Pitch against Tony, threw five pitches. He never took the bat off his shoulder, struck him out. Wow. The game oh, took me out of the game. Man, I floated off the field. Yeah, it doesn't get much better than that. Holy wow. cow. Yep. Did you keep the did you walk off with the baseball in your pocket? I did not, of course. Uh, uh didn't think about that. But the next day, 
Vin Scully handed me a cassette tape of him calling my first appearance. Wow. And I still, I, st I still have that today. I got it converted to electronic and that, that one's a pretty cool memento. That's really cool. Yeah. Wow. That, that is great. Vince Scully um, might be the nicest human being yeah. that I have had the pleasure of walking and talking to. He is just amazing. Yeah, I agree. Give me a Tommy Lasorda story. Yes. Dude, I am I told you you're the better storyteller. Um this is I I, this is all you. Yeah, it's regrettably I don't have one for you. Um probably partly because well um I told you I was an electro engineer. Well, in nineteen ninety I was gonna graduate. So when Dodgers came through Atlanta went to my professors, got my books for that quarter. Um, so I'm all of a sudden I'm piled down with electrical, electrical engineering manuals, textbooks. We uh, go from there to Houston and I'm in the locker room reading one of my double E textbooks because I'm going to be two weeks behind <laughs> by the time the season ends. That clubhouse not only had Lasorda, it had Gibson and Kirk Gibson, Eddie Murray, Oral Hershiser, Dempsey. Um, let's say Tommy was not the only one that made sure they had some fun with me that day. So Tommy would not let anything slide like that. He was always looking to kind of, I felt like, light in the clubhouse. Um, that was his strength. And uh, he got to have some fun with me on that. You're studying electrical engineering in the Dodgers clubhouse. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I am all, Greg. You know, you know me as you know as well as anybody. I'm all geek and nerd. <laughs> no, yeah, you are. I, I mean, I, I I can't believe you had the guts. You, you said you uh, didn't have the guts. You, that's a lot of guts to walk into a, a major league. Uh, yes, you got hours on your own to do stuff, and but I, I that would I don't think I could have left that one alone. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you also know me well enough that I was I was a naive person, <laughs> and uh, I would say things that. You know, didn't need to be said, should get my mouth shut, or I would do things that just wouldn't even dawn on me that it would be taken in, in an odd way. So, again, part of my education. That might be a lefty thing because I'm this, the same way. Um, maybe. I, I would be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to ask you about all the managers you played for because, as Greg said, Tommy Lasorda, but you got Dusty Baker, Phil Garner, yeah. Terry Francona, Johnny Oates, uh, Mike Hargrove. I'm trying to think of who I'm missing here. I mean, there's there's an impressive list of who's who managers from that time. You know, we've talked about a lot of these guys. Frank Robinson, we talked about a little bit too. Um, I don't know that you were up with him. I think you might have gotten Johnny Oates. Yeah, but, uh, Johnny had already taken over. And Bobby Valentine and, and all that. I mean, yeah. you played for quite an array of managers. Do, do any of them stand out as one that you bonded with or any one that had a specific um, – relationship with that uh, you remember strongly to this day yeah you know i i think it's really um it's dusty um partly because he was players manager there's no two ways about it mm -hmm. but what he, what always stuck with me is that when i got traded over there i did very well for him i got traded over the all-star break in 96 had a great second half of the year um the giants signed me to a two-year contract and I am terrible for the next year and a half. Just terrible. 
And Dusty never stopped having my back. You know, he was all, you know, a lot of managers, pitching coaches, if the player wasn't going well, somehow they didn't see you in the, in the locker room or on the field. Um, they weren't available to you to have a conversation or not. Dusty was almost the exact opposite. Wow. Um, he just flat out, he was always there. Um, he always had something positive to say. And I, and I never forgot it. Um, wow. Yeah, I fully, I really respected him for that. It was, it was a great lesson for me to learn as a person. Um, so for me, Dusty's the guy that, you know, um, all my managers have positives, you know, but that, that where I really challenged Dusty to stay engaged with me by being so bad. Um, and he did. So I'll never forget it. And I've always been thankful. What, was it hard to feel at home with any team since you were bouncing around so much? And, you know, early in your career, were you like, this could be a, a, a place, a type of game where I bounce around a lot? Did, did you not like that? Did you welcome the challenge? What was it like to bounce around? I mean, you had 11 years in the big leagues with, what, nine teams, eight, eight teams? Eight, eight teams in Cleveland three times. Um, yeah. So Baltimore was definitely the closest thing to home. Like I said, it was really it was my third team already, but it's where I broke through. Yep. Um, and and had to stay for a couple of years. Actually, had a home in the area. Two of my boys, two of my, two of my two boys were born in that area. Um, so that was it. But um, in Cleveland, because of the experience with the Indians and the World Series, right? You know, so there's. But after that, it's just part of the business. I, I was I was the 23rd, 24th, 25th guy, basically every team I was on. Mm-hmm. You know, that guy's interchangeable. And that's the way the system was designed. That's fine. I, you know, I made a great living, got to meet great people like Craig. You know, it was all good. Beats the alternative of not playing in the big leagues. Great point. <laughs> great um, point. I, I do we, – we play a little game sometimes of people – when we have them on where I kind of quiz them on, on guys they face, would you like to play? Do you think that'd be fun or not? You can try it. Let's see. All right. So who I have a few different numbers here. You faced one batter 19 times. That was the most you faced of any better. Do you have any idea who it was? Boggs would be the first man guy that comes to mind, but no. Uh, Boggs is 17, tied with Wally Joyner. 19 is B.J. Surhoff. Really? Yes. I did not know that. Okay. Um, one guy has – Wow. Got, he got me for an hour with all this. One guy's oh. got eight hits off you. That's more than anybody else. Do you know who that is? Left-handed hitter, I believe. Yeah. Well, the guys yeah. that I always tell people that drove me, you know, drove me insane were Lance Johnson, Ozzie Keen. Yeah. Drove me insane. Line drive over second and shortstop. Oh, dude, I could not figure out. I if I got him out, I couldn't tell you how. I mean, it was a joke. I even dropped. Man, I was already a low three quarter guy. Yeah. I tried to go like low side army in Lance one day. Pulls it down the first base line for a triple. It's like, come on. See, it was so a joke. That, that was the one time you probably tried that, and you never went back and gave it another. Never shot. did it again. <laughs> Only. Only one guy ever got you for multiple home runs. And 
He's a former teammate of, well, at least Greg, maybe you too. Hmm. Catcher. Tattleton? Tattleton, yes. Did you play with yeah. him? Yeah. Uh, I, I, never, I never crossed paths with him. But okay. okay. No, he was with me in 89. I don't think maybe 90. But, Got yeah, it. he was with poor Jim. Huh. All right, enough of this negativity. Who did you strike out the most? There's two guys you struck out five times. Uh, Kevin Moss. Uh, actually, two very, very good hitters. Um, you, absolutely, you absolutely owned Wade Boggs. One for yeah. 13 with five strikeouts. Zero seventy-seven average. Yeah, I, I knew I had Wade's number. I don't know why he struck out so much. I don't know. But, but I knew that when I came in to face him, I was not worried. And uh, the other guy had a very distinctive stance where he'd stand and lean over the plate. Big guy. Big Mo Vaughn. Big Mo Vaughn. Oh, yeah. Uh, by the way, Mo, Mo eventually got his revenge in the 98 playoffs. He totally – he was totally <laughs> selling out for a breaking ball, and I couldn't believe it, so I threw him one. Ripped that down the right field line for a double two. But, he was yeah. terrifying, man. Yeah, he was terrifying. He was uh, a big dude. Speaking of doubles. Yes. One for 11? Yeah, I go for one for nine. Uh, there's a kind there's something that I, there, I'm, I'm going back to the record books. I'm going to have to dispute that. I could have sworn I had a 111 batting average, not 091. But yeah. I, I got one for eight on my side, so that's even better. Oh, yeah, I like your card even better than mine. There you go. Um, Carlos Perez, left hander for the Expos. Wasn't he this guy? Yeah, people people gotta be watching the video, but he would do the kind of like a uh, what you like wings. When he yeah, he was different. He was different dude. He was a good pitcher back in the day. Uh, this was uh, when I was with the Giants, and I was uh, not very good. So I was the guy that was mopping up innings in a bad game. So I actually faced him twice. I uh, got the double off of him. A perfect wet newspaper ball into left center. Um, and you legged it out for a double? I legged it out for a double. And then I struck him out. He came and faced me. I struck him out. I come back up around again to face him. I'm standing in the box, and I'm like, he was dead serious all of a sudden. And it was like, you know, this guy's going to throw me a slider. And sure enough, he did. And I am a terrible hitter. So bad. But I embarrassed him with the strikeout, and so he tried to throw a slider, ball one. Throws me a 1-0 slider to go to ball two. And then I actually hit the next ball way better. I hit a double, but that one didn't drop. That's a so, tough left, that's a tough left left matchup for a guy like you. My, my highlights is a hitter in, in pro ball. That's really good. All right, favorite uh, favorite moment. Uh, it's the World Series. I mean, there's no two ways about it. You know, even didn't even though it didn't end up, you know, the way I would have liked. Um, you know, I got a chance to come and pitch against McGriff the inning before, and got out of a two on two out jam in the fifth. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't change a thing. Pitching in the World Series, pitching in that game, fifty thousand people going nuts in Atlanta. And Greg, I don't know about you, I always love pitching. In front, you know, on the road, in front of big crowds. 
It just, I, didn't, yeah. I, I, really, I didn't mind it. I didn't, I I loved didn't, it. I didn't hear anything. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it because I thought it was just, I loved the energy of it. And then it was so many people, it was way noise. But the, the World Series, by far, nothing not touches it. Yeah, I like that. I hadn't, uh, I hadn't thought of that terminology, but, you know, it's like you get on a golf course and somebody's talking and, and you can't function properly. And yeah. When I pitched in front of 55,000 people and it's, it, was, it, it was white noise. Yeah. I don't know about you. I hate to pitch in front of 5,000 people like the old municipal stadium. Cleveland, yeah. right? They could hold, what, 75? And maybe they'd have 5,000. You heard every voice in a crowd like that. Yeah, or Olympic Stadium in Montreal. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where you got 2,000 people and you, you can hear the guys that talking about getting another beer and you're like, oh, please stop. Bring me one. No doubt. No doubt. Really good. Um, so career highlight. What, uh, let's, let's talk about what's going on. What's Can going we, on? Sim, sorry, stand again. I said, I, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't, we didn't bring up, you know, you, you, um, came out publicly about two weeks ago with your diagnosis of ALS mm -hmm. and, um, just wanted to share, you know, what's going on with you. Yeah. So, uh, June 15th of last year, uh, I got diagnosed with ALS, ironically, on my, the, day, the same day as my uh, first appearance in the big leagues. Um, that was the day I faced Tony. Um, so, uh, you know, I had been losing, uh, I had some issues with my left leg and left arm. Um, uh, finally got to a neurologist that just put a stamp on it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's life-changing in terms of hearing it. Um, I'm the third major leaguer ever, or the third since, since Gehrig, maybe. Um, so I, I think in the article, I apologized to Catfish Hunter and, and Lou Gehrig because I shouldn't be mentioned in the same breath. But, um, you know, it, it is what it is. You know, um, losing uh, – I've had to become a right-hander because – because my left arm doesn't really operate very well. Uh, I spend my days in a wheelchair now, um, but it gets me around. Uh, I've had, you know, I've had unbelievable uh, support, starting with you, Greg. You were one of my first phone calls, um, you know, when I found out what was going on. And, uh, you know, I have told people this, you know, a number of times, but it stays true. I have had a crazy blessed life, you know, for far back as I can remember. And going through this only makes me realize I was actually more blessed than I thought. Um, the support has been uh, over the top. Can't, uh, can't thank people enough, you know, for what they've done for me and my family. It's just incredible perspective. Yeah. <clears throat> No, that was a, you know, that was, that was a hard conversation to have with you. And uh, I said it in the article that came out, The Athletic, I believe that it was, mm -hmm. I, I didn't, what, what is it, 0. 0.00006 percent. Something like that. And you're the third major leaguer in history. It just, I, I didn't know enough about it. And um, 
um, your self-deprecating humor of apologizing to Catfish Hunter and Bird <laughs> is so you, by the way. Um, yeah, brother, I, I, did, I, I just wanted, I, I wanted you to come on. I, um, you know, close friend, love you, and just wanted to talk baseball with you. And if you wanted to share, share what's going on, because it, like I said before we started recording that uh, you're not very good about replying to phone calls. <laughs> uh, I can be a little slow. Your text message took uh, give or take three or four days for you to lock in on this one. So uh, I think we're at three days, 22 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just, I appreciate you sharing. And um, I just wanted, you know, talk baseball with you. We don't, uh, we're an hour and a half apart and don't get to see each other much. No, I know. I look, I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, and thank you for letting me share the story about the ALS. Um, yeah, not something I wish on anybody or myself, but it's, yeah, it's just life. And uh, I've been uh, enjoying it as, at least as much as uh, before I got the diagnosis. Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to mention two groups I'm associated with. Yeah. There's a group in California called um, ALS Cure Project. Um, it is actually formed. Um, in honor of Stephen Piscotti's mother, mm-hmm. who passed away a couple of years ago from it. Um, Stephen's currently with the Oakland A's. Uh, so I'm actually on their board helping them out, a uh, research group, and a group in New York called Project ALS. Uh, they are also a research group. Uh, just recently put a drug trial called Procetin, uh, which, uh, you know, I, I went going back to being a geek, got to talk to the researcher, designed it all, and I was in heaven hearing all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, another group that's uh, working hard to find, a, find a, a therapy or a cure for something that's still only, uh, only two drugs have uh, been approved in history for uh, ALS. So what what is that um, that last one you, talk, you just talked about out of yeah. Philadelphia, I believe? How does what does what does that look like for you? Um, well, Percent just started its uh, stage one trial, so I'm not part of that. Um, I'm in another trial for something called Amelix, uh, which is supposed to help slow down the progression of the disease. I think with Percent, the the idea is that um, might not be a cure, but may have a better chance of stopping it from regressing and some of the other drugs that have come out, but early stages, uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, with the ALS patients, it's really a race against time. You know, our, our uh, typical, you know, from, from time you start noticing the uh, symptoms, you know, it's usually like a two to five year window, you know, of uh, lifespan. So it's a sprint for us and, you know, all that means is we do as much as we can while we have the time we can do it. And we hope uh, some researcher has been supported enough to uh, find a breakthrough. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you both for letting me be a fly on the wall in this conversation. And, you know, our thoughts and prayers obviously go out to you and your family. Um, all the best. Thank you, Jim, so much for the time today. Um, it was, it was an 
absolute honor and a delight on my part. And I hope you enjoyed it half as much as I did. I did, Brian. I really appreciate it. Greg, thank you again for being such a good friend. Uh, Help me being a rock on my faith uh, while I go through this. And I can't thank you enough for it. And I definitely enjoyed uh, turning back the clock and uh, thinking about some fun times. Well, if you, uh, if you decide you want to start sharing some stories and become a little bit of a storyteller, we'd love to have you back on. Yes. All right. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, right. that is, uh, yeah, I, I can't say it any better than that. Uh, thank you so much for the time. He's Jim Poole, Greg Olson. I'm Brandon Warren signing off saying thank you so much for checking out that 90s baseball pod powered by Access Twins. We won't make you wait another month until we talk to you again, but uh, check us out next week. Peace. <laughs>